Hi, this is Sweeney Murdy from WSAN, and you're listening to Locked Up Sports. Sports, they're the authority. It's Bob Walters and Brett Grasso. It's Lock Up Sports, and it starts now. Bring them out, bring them out, hey! Bring them out, bring them out, yeah! Bring them out, bring them out, hey! Bring them out. Here we go! Bob Walters, Ryan McGordy from the Brian Gunzel Studios. This is Locked Up Sports. Welcome to the show, everybody. Guest host, Ryan McGordy, sitting in for Brett. Ryan, what is up? Not much. Great to be back. I'd like to uh, come in and put a little Yankee perspective on here. A little Yankee perspective. What's the Yankee perspective today? First of all, first of all, Brett, if you're wondering where Brett is, he is, like the bumper sticker says, gone fishing. I asked him, do you want to come and do the show today? He said, I'd rather be fishing. Yeah, you better come back with something big. You better have a big fish. No weights. You better not put no, the weights yeah, in. I, th- I, yeah, that's, that's exactly. I was thinking the weights. He definitely puts the weights in. But um, so the Yankee perspective, we got Ryan on here because now after all that, after they trimmed the fat down and started the real playoffs, as you said, um, we'll do a quick thing on the Mets too. As I, I'm, I'm furious at the Mets. We got a. It's a football Friday. It's a baseball Friday. It's. A Yankee Friday right now because the Yankees now find themselves in a worse place than the Mets were last week. They're tied one-one. They're going on the road. They are now all of a sudden the underdogs in this in this uh, series. Let me tell you this: if I didn't have a friend like you that always gets in my ear when the Yankees get knocked out, I wouldn't make comments like I made the other day about trimming the fat. But you know, when I have to deal with you and you see ya every time the Yankees lose five minutes after, I can't help myself at that point. I give you 48 hours before I said anything. Like I said, that's 48 hours more than you give me when the Yankees get knocked out. So the bully's blaming the victim, huh? <laughs> good. I'm sure your kids are in good shape, good hands, huh? <laughs> so anyway, so the Yankees today they played. They got rained out last night. They had the game, the makeup game today. It was, it was a. The Yankees had the lead two to one, correct? Two nothing. Two nothing. Um, Giancarlo, uh, as as much as it, whatever you're going to say about Giancarlo in the regular season and him, you know, not living up to what you expect. Let me tell you, Giancarlo is still is a beast in the playoffs. No, he, you can't say anything about him anymore. Not after oh. last year. Last year he carried carried them. Last year carried them the year before, and he he's he's now rid himself of being yelled at or blamed for anything as far as October. He's proved himself. He's done his thing. Oh, he's a beast in October. Judge, on the other hand, Judge, on the other hand, today, what was he, 0 for 4? Four strikeouts. Four strikeouts, a golden sombrero for Judge. It was his uh, first golden sombrero, I believe, in the majors. So Seven strikeouts over the first two games. And as the Yankees know, it's not about what you do in the regular season. You could hit 75 home runs. It comes to the postseason, 
and now he's putting up golden sombreros, and let the me, Yankees are losing at home. Let me say this. I mean, after the season's over, I'll probably look back and, and disagree with that comment, obviously. I'm going to say something that fans of other teams and Met fans hate to say, hate to hear, but you know what? I've seen the Yankees win the World Series five times. I've never seen anybody hit 62 home runs that are that aren't, yeah, that, that aren't on again. steroids. That aren't on steroids. Okay, because I'm okay. I guess that's fair. I mean, he 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 had a great season, but it's the end. You can't you can't back out on this now. You can't be like, oh, it's about the playoffs. It's about the rings with the Yankees. It's 27. It's going for 28. It's only about we play for October. We're we're asking our bosses off in April for the parade in November 3rd. You can't play that card, and then he comes out of Golden Sombrero on a set, on a Friday afternoon, and now all of a sudden, ah, I've seen them win before. And listen, it's disappointing, obviously, to see him. You know, he struck out seven times in the last two games. Obviously, that's disappointing to see. But what are you gonna? Like I said, I, I mean, it was an amazing season for him. I'm gonna take that away from him just because this postseason so far, and we're only two games in, he hasn't lived up to what you you know you you expect at a judge. I do feel that the home run chase has, you know, negatively affected him. It, it, I, I think so. I think it, I think it definitely negatively affected him. Oh, I think, uh-huh. especially because he was pressing there at the end, he almost didn't get it. 100%. He got it on the second to last day of the season. Let me tell you this: if Judge had hit his sixty first and sixty second home run three days after he hit sixty, this wouldn't be a problem. But you know, it, it took him a long time to hit sixty one, and then it took him a couple more days to hit sixty two. You know, and he was pressing. I mean, there was no question. Yeah, he's definitely pressing. Definitely, and, and it's and I. I it, it's not it's even the record, though. It's not even it's the American League record, which is garbage because nobody cares. When was the last time you heard about the American League record? Yeah, for yeah. something. So I well, mean, you, 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 it, that's a code word. It's that's code for non-steroid record. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, that's fair, a that's code fair. word for non-steroid record. If it wasn't, if one of those guys, if Sosa or Maguire or Bonds had been in the American League, they would have been saying going for the Yankee record. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? yeah. They would yeah. they would have used a different code word. We all know what it means. You know what I'm saying? They they keep talking about. Oh, would you? Do you think Manfred should uh, change the uh, record? Yeah, he's not. He's not going to change the record. There's no need to change the record because that record will never be brought up again. Where somebody doesn't mention that those three had steroids, that were those three were on steroids. I mean, you're talking about they broke the record five times in a three year, in in three years. Yeah, yeah. But what you but you're not worried about any of us. You're worried about like a hundred years from now uh, when I'm, someone looks at the record, but it did. It doesn't have an asterisk. It doesn't say anything about steroids. Now there will be something in the Hall of Fame, but because obviously now, of course, we all know he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's I mean, not getting... in a hundred years. I'll be dead for fifty years. So I don't care. Okay. So anyway, so <laughs> game three tomorrow in Cleveland. What would give give us a preview of that? Tomorrow in Cleveland. I mean, you know, you just you hope they come out and they're ready to go. You hope Sevy puts in a puts in a good performance. You know, today. Today, Cleveland had to win. Let me tell you that. Yeah, they lost 4-2. You were going against Bieber, their ace. And by the way, I don't know if you watched the game, but in the middle of the game, Costas called him Justin Bieber. Yeah, I, I love Costas. Doesn't doesn't feel doesn't the game feel more important when Costas is doing it? It does. It, it, it does. Unfortunately, these guys from our youth, like, and don't get me wrong, I love Costas, but you hear Costas, you hear Al Michaels go, they make blunders now that they never made when they were younger. Now, you all know, the time. You know what you realize now? Without, well, I mean, listen. Al Michaels is just getting these terrible. That game last night was unwatchable. Like it was. 
Mm. It was completely unwatchable. The, the, even all the way down to the very end, where the guy made the catch, but he bobbled it on the goal line. The Monday night games are unwatchable. So now, so the Yankees are 1-1, heading to Cleveland. Severino tomorrow, right? Who's, who's pitching for the... The Indians, it's going to be Severino against... Yeah, it's their number two. Um, uh, what is the number two's name? Uh, the Yankees got to win tomorrow. The Yankees... Can now, now, if the Yankees McKenzie. don't... McKenzie. McKenzie's going tomorrow. Who's supposedly... I mean, I haven't seen too much of him. You know, obviously I'm not in the uh, Cleveland uh, sports scene, but supposedly he's had a great year. Now, do you think Do you think that the, um, the layoff, the buy... Followed by the day off, followed by the rainout, has affected the Yankees. They've only played two games in about two and a half weeks. No, you don't the think it's came affected out in them? one game one. I mean, if they had come out, had they lost both these games, I would say yes. Do I think it affected the Braves? Yes, I think the Braves are in trouble because of it. I think they came out flat in game one. As we speak, they're down nine one in the eighth. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're about yeah. to go down two one. They're about to go lose the first two at home. Yeah, they're about to lose the first two at home. Head to Philly, down 0-2. Well, no, this is game three. So oh, I'm sorry, gonna, yeah, right, yeah, right, right, they're right. going to be down 2-1. Yeah, the Braves are in trouble. Which in Philly, they're in trouble. Which I, I don't really know how to how to feel about that. Um, with the Mets, I put something up on YouTube. Go check it out. It's my complete um, dismantling of the Mets. I'm I'm highly disappointed in the fans. I think it's embarrassing that there's empty seats. I think. The Mets overplayed their hand with the prices. It was, I paid $175 for upper deck in the outfield on Saturday. Bought them from the Mets. I, on Friday night, I paid $100 behind the plate, 400s. Sunday, I paid $80 behind the plate, 300s. Mm-hmm. The Mets were selling them for $175, and they were empty seats, full empty sections. It was embarrassing. Scherzer? You could have gotten You waited longer. You, you could have gotten them cheaper than you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You waited the last Well, I bought him on on uh, Friday night. I left work and I decided to go to the game. I bought it like it, the game was over. It was yeah. three. It was three. It was three nothing by the time I got in my seat. So the game was over. It was, <laughs> and then on Sunday it was like a funeral there. It was terrible. I mean, it was it was it was seven. It was seven. It was um, six nothing. The Mets got one lousy hit by Alonzo. Everybody crapped the bed. I mean, I. Scherzer disappointed me the most. Degrom did not pitch very well. Um, Degrom was uh, Degrom looked fine. I, Degrom I, got I, the job done. They yeah, won. The I don't care. You can't, you can't take it out on Degrom. I mean, I'm glad they didn't save him for uh, for the LA series. The Mets, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Mets had one inning that whole the whole weekend, it, and it was a wasted season. It was a wasted season because I'm not even I'm not gonna sit here and be like the 101 wins. Why? Because they're not the little brother. How many times do we bitch and moan about not going to the playoffs, about not spending money, about the owner, about the manager that we want? We got the manager that we wanted, that we begged for for 10 years. We got the owner that's going to spend money. We're done with the Madoff garbage. We get the we got two generational pitchers, first ballot Hall of Famers, and we get 101 wins, and we lose two out of three at home, and in the blink of an eye, they're out of the playoffs, and there's empty seats all over the place. Shame on you, Mets fans. Shame on you. Because you know what? You bitch and moan, and then you don't show up. And don't tell me that it was school night. It wasn't a school night. It was Indigenous People Day. If Christopher Columbus can find America, then you can find your way to City Field, okay? 
Yeah. That's all. That's all I gotta say about that. I mean, I don't. I don't know if I consider it a blown season. It was a good season. I mean, you guys had fun for five months. You know, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm an old man at this point. I have to. I have to respect the. the an old man that, with five championships. I'm an old man with no championships. That's true. That's true. You know, I'm trying to get one. I'm still living off of '94 Rangers. I know. And the Giants. And I, I, I understand that. And listen, as as much of a Yankee fan as I am, and you know, like. I, I make jokes because you're my buddy and you're the Mets fan that has a big mouth. You know, at some point, obviously, I want you guys to experience a championship. So I, I would be okay with you winning the World Series one of these years, just not against the Yankees. Yeah, but it's not. It, and, and we've already passed the point where it's it's not the same now. It's so much better when you're younger. Like, right. I, yes, I will enjoy it. I will love it. I will bang into work for a week. Right. But it's not the same. It's really not the same. And it won't be the same. If they win, but it's okay. It's okay. As long as I get one, and I don't know if I'm going to get one. I don't know. You know, the Cubs fans, a lot of Cubs fans said that. And then, but here's the thing. Uh, Uncle Steve, Uncle Steve Cohen is having, was having lunch today with Theo Epstein. If all went well, he supposedly would be offered the president of baseball operations. He's going to get a share of the team. You know, I mean, Steve Cohen flushed down the toilet, what, $286 million. That's basically like me dropping a dollar. You know, I'm not really worried. Uh, he's not worried about it either. Uh, they're not, the Mets fans are, are delusional if they think they're going to get Judge. Judge is either going to the Yankees or he's going to the Giants. One or the other. Got okay, and, and I don't want somebody that's striking out five times in a, in a playoff game. I, Seven I don't in want two days. Seven in two days. Okay, so he clearly <laughs> but can't. But you will take a guy that hits 62 home runs a year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, that, you know, it's not about the regular season. It's not about the regular season with the Mets anymore. I, mean, I 100% agree with you. And, uh, I mean, speaking of the Mets, the Yankees today went up 2-0 two, two on the Stanton home run. And then uh, how did the Guardians come back to tie the score? Jimenez, single, first RBI. Rosario, home run to tie the game. Two, ex, two, two Met prospects he got right there. Yeah, well, you know, former Met, now good. Now good. They're both That's good. how it works. And, and then Scherzer and then Robbie Alomar. It's, it's Hall of Famer, now Met. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Lindor's obviously great. He's a great player, but I mean... Uh, you, yeah, Lindor's you, all right. Lindor's a good player. A good player, not a great player. Scherzer's a great player. And what did he do? Listen, we're not paying Scherzer $42 million for a two-hit shutout in July. It's starting to look like you gave up an awful lot for Lindor. You know, I mean, listen... Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you've gotten a few years, good years out of them before these two have really burst onto the scene they had this year. But let me tell you, these guys are—they're both good. It's the Braves again, though. It's the Braves. They're worse than the Yankees. Ready? Listen to this. The Mets joined the NL East in nineteen sixty nine. That's when they joined the national, the NL East division. Mm-hmm. The Mets have six division titles. The mm-hmm. Braves joined the NL East in nineteen ninety five. The Braves have seventeen division titles. Then the Expos moved to Washington. Since they moved to Washington, they have four division titles. Wow, is is that right? What, That's I what guess, we're looking at. Wow. That's what we're Washington looking at. And that four you, and the Mets only and the Mets only have Mets have six, six and sixty nine. I mean that's all but that's not that's Braves not, have seventeen. Yeah, that's not the Nationals, that's the Braves. That's the Braves winning it every year. I mean, you know, the Braves win it, the Mets can't. So yeah, the Braves were dominant in the nineties, sort of. I mean, they only won one World Series because you know, the Yankees were there in the end of the decade, but yeah, I mean, they yeah. were dominant in the division, that's for sure. Yeah, they were the Bills. They were the Bills. They yeah, were the Bills. Well, they got they the one. They were the Bills. Because they didn't make the World Series every year. The Bills made the Super Bowl <laughs> yeah, four years yeah, in yeah. a row. I mean, no, that's one of the greatest teams the of Bills all time. Might get their, the Bills might get their Super Bowl yeah, this they year. Might they, they might get it. Speaking of the NFL, we got um, week six. Uh, the Giants coming off a big upset in London over... Crazy Aaron Rodgers. Um, they got now, they're coming home. They got a big game this weekend against um, 
Baltimore. We have um, our guest is going to be, um, he's going to be joining us in just a second here. It's going to be Lance Meadow. He's the pre and post game show. You know him. He's all over Mad Dog Radio. He's on Sirius XM. He's all over the place. Um, so I spoke to him a little bit earlier. Here's my spot with Lance Meadow. All right, we are now joined by Lance Meadow. He's in his 14th year hosting shows on Sirius XM Radio, and uh, you can find him on Mad Dog Sports Radio Channel 82. You can find him all over the XM dial. And he is also the host of the Giants pregame, halftime, and postgame show on WFAN. And in the winter, you can find him doing college hoops on Westwood One. His name is Lance Meadow. Lance, thanks for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Um, now, with the Giants, are they are they for real? Are they a, a, a 4-1 team? Are they a good 4-1 team? Or are they just a byproduct of the schedule? It's a great question, and it's a question that I'm pondering myself, Bob, because there's so much to read into in terms of these first five games. I think really, to answer your question, it's a combination of both. You can't take anything away from the game planning, the level of execution, and how they're maximizing and making the most of their roster. They've been running the ball very effectively. That's been consistent regardless of who they've been going up against. Even in the Cowboys' loss, the rushing game was very consistent, and Saquon's having an outstanding season. But at the end of the day, you just figure eventually they're going to go up against a team where they're going to have to throw the ball more. They're going to have to make plays down the field. We have yet to see that. Maybe they trail in the fourth quarter like they did against Dallas, and clearly they came out on the losing end. Why? Because the Cowboys had a very good pass rush, and they were able to expose the interior of the Giants' offensive line. So once again, it circles back to your question. I think it's a combination of both. I think you got to give them a lot of credit for running the ball effectively. Wink Martindale has been doing a heck of a job on the defensive side of the ball. They've been very stingy at times. They've been opportunistic with some of their fumble recoveries. But then again, we haven't necessarily seen them be put in a position where they have to air it out. So I still think the jury is out with respect to how good this team could be, how much damage they could do in the NFC. But right now... They are a solid team based on their ability to finish and also do the little things which they were failing to do in previous seasons to close out games. Well, hey, I agree. I mean, you know what? I feel the same way. I kind of wasn't on board with, with them. I, I thought they were maybe a fraud 4-1 team. But you know what? It's the NFL. You don't apologize for any wins in the NFL. So, sure. you know, they're 4-1. It is what it is. And the schedule is promising going forward, too. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Now, the Giants' bread and butter has been defense their, their entire, you know, forever what has Wink Martindale brought to this team? Well, I think he's brought a level of aggressiveness with respect to their ability to mix and match week to week. They're really an evolving defense, and that's what's crazy because you think with the group they have, and there's a lot of young guys, there's players that have not been here very long, that it's hard to implement a new scheme every week and have the level of execution play out to the degree that it did. But he's found a way to coach these guys up, and some weeks he may utilize the linebackers more. Other weeks it may be a heavy secondary game. This is not the type of team where if you think you got a good read on them one week, that he's going to bring back the same exact thing the following week. So from that standpoint, I think you got to give Wink a lot of credit. You know, other defensive coordinators, you see, hey, they've got their scheme. They try to fit the players into the scheme, and if it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, you don't see a lot of shifting. You don't see a lot of change. With Wink, 
he'll cater to the needs of his team, but he'll also switch things up based on who he's going up against. One week, it may be a mobile quarterback, so you need the linebackers. Another week, it may be Aaron Rodgers. You need to rely on your defensive backs. I think that's been probably the most impressive aspect with respect to this scheme. The other thing that I think he has brought to the table is he doesn't play any favorites. There could be once again, and this goes back to what I'm talking about, one week you may get 40 snaps. Another week you may only get 25. And the rest of the team seems to have bought into that. And that's not always easy. You know, in this league, you get polished veterans. They're used to playing X amount of snaps. You don't give that to them on a consistent basis. They get unhappy. Or young guys who think that you know they're the next greatest thing since Swiss cheese. And then all of a sudden, the following week, they are not heavily involved in the game plan. So those are the two factors that I think stand out to me on the defensive side of the ball. And to his credit, he's gotten the players to execute. And that's all that matters. You could be the most creative defensive coordinator known to man. The players at the end of the day need to buy in. They need to deliver. And they have answered the call on both of those fronts. Well, I mean, I, I agree. And, you know, Kay- Kayvon... Thibodeau is is a perfect example. I, I was at the Dallas game. He he was you know you you wouldn't even know he was on the field, and it was his first game. I get it, you know. And the NFL has a way of doing that kind of you know making you making you realize you're not as good as you thought you were. And with Martindale, he seems to have like that mad scientist kind of you know Rob Ryan kind of outlook. He, you say he switches it up. I see him blitzing a lot. Do you think the secondary is good enough to cover these guys if he if he's going to bring the house like he did last week a lot of times? Yeah, well, he does blitz a lot. All you got to do is go back to the Baltimore Ravens in his four years there. He led the NFL in blitz percentage in three of the four years. So I don't necessarily think that that's necessarily a surprising development. But, yeah, if you don't get home to your point, then you're going to leave those guys out to dry. If you have a Dory Jackson fully healthy and you have some of these other polished corners, I think you can get away with holding up under those circumstances. But – the Green Bay game that you were referencing, and this just goes to show you how impressive it was to see guys on the depth chart answer the call. You had Justin Lane, who's mainly been a special teamer with Pittsburgh, and Nick McLeod, who also was a special teamer with Buffalo. Both of those guys were called into duty because of the injury to Adoree Jackson, and they handled their own. You look at the fact, the number that jumped out to me, and I brought this up on several shows, Aaron Rodgers had 14 incompletions last week. Seven of his 14 incompletions, the Giants got credit for passes defense. And that's insane. That's a 50% rate in which you're getting a hand on the ball. And it worked last week. Do I think that's going to work every single week? No, absolutely not. But Lamar Jackson, he's more of a runner. So it's a little bit different. You're not maybe relying on the guys on the back end in the secondary. You're relying on more of if you're going to blitz him getting home and also your linebackers being well-disciplined to tackle him. So once again, to get back to your question, if you're going up against an Aaron Rodgers-esque quarterback, yeah, you're running a risk. But if you're going up against a running quarterback, I think you could get away with maybe not having the strongest secondary players on the back end because you can make up for that with your safeties as well as your linebackers. Now, you speak about this game and you, you talk about Wink. You know, Obviously, he was with Baltimore, and this is kind of a... Who do you think has the advantage there? Do you think the fact that uh, Lamar Jackson went up against his defenses in practice for all those years, or do you think the fact that he knows Lamar Jackson's tendencies, who's got the, who's got the advantage there? I really don't think anyone has the advantage, and I've been pondering this myself throughout the week because here's the thing. It's not just Lamar Jackson. Greg Roman, the Ravens' offensive coordinator, has gone up against Wink's defense in practice over the last four years. Then if you want to spin it on the opposite side of the ball, you have Mike McDonald, who's now the new Ravens' defensive coordinator, 
He went to Michigan for a year to be there at D.C. last year. Prior to that, he worked under Wink. He was his linebacker's coach. So McDonald even has a glimpse of maybe what Wink wants to run. And in conversations he's having with Lamar and Greg Roman this week, I'm sure they're game planning. And then I haven't even mentioned John Harbaugh. If you want to actually go by the volume, the numbers game, I would say there's a lot more people on the Baltimore side of things, whether it be on offense or defense, that have a pretty good grasp and idea of what Wink likes to do compared to the Giants, where you have Jahad Ward, who was in Baltimore, who knows Lamar, and you have Wink. But you don't have a whole lot, and I'll throw in Tony Jefferson, but Mm -hmm. there's probably a good chance that he may not even play this week because he's been dealing with the injury bug. So slight advantage, if anything, I would argue on Baltimore's side. But once again, Wink knows them well. They know Wink well. At the end of the day, I thought Wink gave a great answer at his presser this week. He said the players, they're going to decide this game. You threw out the mad scientist term, which I think is very fitting. They could have sleepless nights on both sides. They can go over every single different scenario. If Wink knows Lamar that great and he tells the linebackers you got to be in that position and they miss the assignment when Lamar runs like crazy, what difference does it matter that Wink went up against that in practice every single day? So I think it's a fun topic to talk about. But at the end of the day, once again, I I don't think either side – has a step ahead of the other team because both sides have a great deal of familiarity with one another. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be, you know, basically, can the, can the defensive line, can, can Thibodeau, can the outside rushers, can they get home, can they get to him, can they get a hand on him? The word around the league, on the, you know, the insider word seems to be people are, are not as high on Jackson as the rest of us are that watch it. Now, I don't know what they see, if they, you know, they're more experienced in it than we are. But if they kind of have a problem with his arm, now he could. We know he could run all over the place. But that in the NFL, that's going to end up getting you hurt. And we saw with, we saw with uh, Daniel Jones just a couple weeks ago. You know, if you're not staying in that pocket, pocket passer, you could run all over the place. But you're going to eventually get hurt. And people don't seem to trust Jackson's arm. What do you think about that? Well, Lamar got hurt last season when Huntley came in, and they were fortunate that Huntley, the backup quarterback, had a similar style to Lamar's, so they were able to run similar schemes on offense, even though clearly he's not nearly as dynamic as Lamar. I think Lamar has a very strong arm. So anyone questioning his arm... I agree, I agree. I think he's excellent. I I would argue, I I don't know what they're looking at. I think if there's anywhere that he needs to improve, it's his efficiency as a passer, meaning his level of execution. Case in point, he played the Bengals last week, and he had two deep passes where his receivers were wide open, and he missed them. He overshot one of them, and Another one, once again, off the mark slightly. I think it was Devin Duvernay that had a step on one of them, who's their speedster. So throws like that, the great quarterbacks, they make them count. So it's more of an efficiency thing. It's got nothing to do with arm strength thing. And we know that he clearly has the ability to run. And the difference between Lamar and Daniel Jones is Lamar, I think, is built to absorb more of those hits than Daniel is, just like Josh Allen is in comparison to Daniel. That's the big reason why you don't want Jones running as much, because I don't think he has the durability. He's not built to the degree where he could take on hits like Allen and Lamar, and Allen is built more like a linebacker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lamar (laughs) is just as much of a threat through the air, and here's the thing. If people around the NFL feel that way, and you overcommit to what Lamar is going to do with his legs, if you don't put enough attention on Mark Andrews, and Devin Duvernay and some of these other running backs, they'll come back to bite you because they're a very dynamic team that has a variety of ways to hurt you. So I don't get the feel that that's a popular take around the league. Perhaps there's a few people that 
don't love his ability to throw the ball. And as I said, I think he can improve from an efficiency standpoint. But Lamar is just as much of a threat as a passer. You give him time. He's going to survey the field, and he's going to take his shots. Well, I mean, Daniel Jones had a couple of nice games here, but let's not start comparing him to Allen and, ja- and Jackson's yet. No, you know? not at all. <laughs> of course not. But um, <laughs> now you've you've watched uh, Thibodeau. I think he's the best pick the Giants have had in a long time. Um, how good can he be? It really depends on how they utilize him moving forward and how disruptive he could be. I think he could be a solid player. Would I say that he's going to be a lock to be a Hall of Famer? and an all-pro player every single year, I wouldn't go so far. I mean, it's still early. The sample size is small. He's been – here's where you got to give him credit. He doesn't have a sack, but if you look at the film, he's been doing things to open up opportunities for other players, and he's got his hands on a few batted passes. On the big so play he, yesterday, last week, on the third down, right? The third or fourth down he got it on the last drive. On the third down, correct. Yeah, the play before McKinney deflected it. It was Thibodeau who got a piece of it, and then even in one of the previous games, he also – had a pass defense. So you like to see that because the good players, they need to find ways to be disruptive without clearly finishing with a sack. You're not going to get a sack all the time. or going to get a quarterback hit. So I think if those numbers continue to stay consistent and eventually maybe skyrocket, you know, he could be that consistent force who can open things up for other players. The other problem is we just, we haven't seen a fully healthy defensive line. And linebacking core out there. Ojalari's banged up now, and mm. we haven't seen many games with the two of them out there. I think you'd like to see both of them operate to see what the ceiling is for both of these guys. But, I mean, it's way too early to start speculating that this guy is going to be, you know, an all-pro or a lock to once again go to Canton, Ohio. Micah Parsons, for example, the Cowboys, I mean, that guy has nearly a sack per game. If Thibodeau did that, I think we have a little bit more to talk about. I think your goal is let him be a disruptive force to make sure that he puts his stamp on a game, shows up in the box score, one or two plays every game that you could point to, okay, hey, Thibodeau was in position. He was there to open things up for that. You get that out of a first-round pick. That's a huge step in the right direction, and I think that's certainly feasible moving forward. Yeah, I mean, from what I see, he kind of he has the ability to wreck a game, and that's really what you want out of a you know out of a pass rushing you know an, an end rusher and someone someone like him. You know, have him wreck a game, have him you know take down the quarterback in a big spot, have him force a fumble, a strip sack, something like that. And sure. you know, and you know, you never know. He seems to have that ability. We'll see going forward. You got to do it first. I mean, that's my argument. Yeah, he may have the ability. I mean, granted, we saw it at Oregon too. Yes. But I'm a show me guy. I got to see it for multiple games before I put a player in that category. And once again, I think we've seen the disruptive force. I don't think we've seen the wrecking force, which is the term that you were referring to. Fair, fair point, fair point. Now, I remember when I was growing up, it was uh, with with court. Now I don't know where it changed, but when I was growing up with quarterbacks, it was always don't even start to judge them before three to five years. And I and somewhere along the line it changed and it became three to five games. Now where I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. Where do you stand on Daniel Jones? We've seen clearly a lot of a sample size at this point. The problem is he hasn't stayed healthy and he's performed in different offenses. So I feel like every year we sort of reset the clock, wondering, okay, well, is this coach going to bring the full potential out of him? Is this going to be the year that he stays healthy? My bigger question is more durability than anything else. I don't know whether or not he could get through a season. And just because he lasted five games thus far, and he still has dealt with an ankle injury, I don't think necessarily guarantees that he's going to get through the remaining 12 games. So let him prove that. Let him get through a 17-game season. That would be a step in the right direction and initial check mark. Then 
The other thing on my to-do list is if, once again, they get into games, and this goes back to where we started the conversation, where they have to throw the ball more. They have to take some shots deep down the field. You can't rely on the run game. You're playing from behind. Does he have the ability to do that consistently? Those are still the two hovering questions. I don't think either of them have been answered. I think he deserves a lot of credit. He's made good decisions. He's protected the ball, and he's played very well within the confines of Gable and Kafka's offenses. But if we're talking about, just like we were talking about a game wrecker for Kayvon Thibodeau, if we're Mm -hmm. talking about going into every game, knowing exactly what you have out of Daniel Jones, and saying, game on the line, fourth quarter, I know he can make the necessary throws, I don't think we're there yet. So, once again, the jury is still out with respect to Daniel Jones. As far as your comment about people are itching to have some closure on a quarterback, I mean, I would say the same thing that I can't stand when people put a lot of stock in quarterback record. Quarterback record doesn't mean anything. It's the team's record Mm -hmm. with the quarterback under center. So, at the end of the day, it's the impatience of people who cover the football sport overall and watch the game from afar and don't realize Daniel's going to be still, at the end of the day, only as good as the running back, the offensive line, and the defense, vice versa. And he hasn't had stability from that standpoint, but I don't think this season he's been exposed to a situation where he's had to shoulder the load. And you still want to see that under certain circumstances with a quarterback. Yeah, well, I mean, he, I think the Dallas game was a big spot for him. I said I think that was a big missed opportunity. I think he had a chance. He got the ball on his own 10-yard line, minute, you know, what, a minute 40 to go, no timeouts. Now, the interception wasn't his fault. The receiver fell down. But you just kind of never had the feeling that he was going to take this team down into the end zone. And I always say, listen, if you're going to draft someone from Duke, you better be a basketball team. (laughs) Well, also, if you're going to draft somebody from Duke, I think you also need to account for the fact that you loved what you saw out of him, but you're going to bring him to a team in the NFL that has a lot of talent around him so that you can further tap into his skill set. And in fairness to him, he has not had, once again the full health of all of his personnel, and he has an had stability with respect to the coaching staff. So I don't care which quarterback you put in that situation. You're putting them in a tough spot. But this year, there seems to be a little bit more stability with respect to coaching. There hasn't been full stability with respect to the health of the personnel. But, yeah, I think the Dallas game is a great example, and that's what I was alluding to earlier, where also you were playing from behind. And when you're playing from behind, the pass rush has an opportunity to test the interior of this Giants offensive line. The Giants offensive line is good in run blocking. I don't know necessarily if they've answered the call with respect to pass protection. And we saw when they had to pass protect and Dallas realized, okay, we're going to be aggressive. Daniel was pressured and he had to overcome some of those issues. So yeah, that was a good microcosm of what may come down the road if they continue to trail in the fourth quarter and Daniel has to make plays. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Now, let's go to uh, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley, I wasn't for that draft pick either. I think I think he, to him, for, for that draft pick to be justified, he needed to be Barry Sanders. And listen, he's going to be, he's going into his sixth year next year, which is like 58 years old in, in running back <laughs> years. Do they resign him? What, what do you do? He's having a good year this year. What do you do with Saquon? I would give Saquon the franchise tag. I think that may be the good best point. way to operate because my mindset with Saquon and Daniel are the same thing. Durability still needs to be proven for both of them. And the problem with it, once again, it goes back to the interesting comment you talked about that everybody wants closure after three to five games. 
Well, let's say Daniel and Saquon have good seasons, and, and clearly Saquon is on a very good trajectory. Daniel's having a good year. His numbers are not necessarily jumping off the page, but that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Just because they get through one season, does that mean, Bob, at the end of the day, that they're going to hold up for the next three seasons? No. Okay, so what you give, my point is, when you give a player a contract, you're not giving a player a contract based on what they did the year prior. You're giving a player a contract because you have faith that moving forward, not for one year, for multiple years, you know exactly what you're going to get out of that player. The players would, why, but the, sorry to interrupt. The players would probably disagree yeah. with you on that. They want to be paid, well, you know, you know. Yeah, well, well, I don't blame them. And, and I if I was that. an agent representing a player, I'd have the same mindset. But if I'm an owner, I'm and I'm a GM, and that's how I'm operating. It's not what have you done for me. It's what you're going to do for me moving forward. So the point is. One season of full health out of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley does not wipe away their resumes and their health issues prior. So that doesn't mean that we come back in 2023 and if Daniel and Saquon get through all 17 games, you're absolutely going to get all 17 games out of them in 2023. And then you're going to get 17 more out of them in 2024. That's not how the NFL operates. But you want to feel good that they can hold up and they've also production-wise shown you they can be consistent. I still stand by one season out of them. I don't think that's an indicator that you absolutely know what you're going to get out of them moving forward. So I would rather give them the franchise tag, one of the two, because you can't give both, Correct. so that you say, okay, we want to reward this player. We want to keep them around because we really like what they did. But at the same time, we still want to keep our options open to evaluate to make sure, A, they could stay healthy and they can also continue to have success within our offensive scheme. So I would rather go to the side of keep them but remain flexible. And I'm more so with Saquon. Daniel, I think you still want to see 12 more games mm -hmm. before you start talking contract at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely. And the reason I didn't like the Saquon pick was because I feel like, you know, a running back, the shelf life for a running back is so small and it's so short that they – they weren't a good team. They were basically drafting him for Eli Manning, trying to make one more push, you know, and it, and it really wasn't going to happen. If you looked at the team, it wasn't going to happen. So they, they did that. And now when they, you know, let's say they start, let's say this is the start of the Giants getting good. He's on the back end already. He's five years in. He's got a couple injuries in. He's on the back end. I would kind of see, you know, I might let him walk if I, if I was that. But I do agree. I do like, I didn't even think of the franchise tag. And I do agree with that. You could also, Bob, you could also give him the transition tag. And the reason why I like the transition tag is the transition tag basically goes to the player and the onus is on him to set the market. So meaning you have a right to match, but you tell the player, listen, we like you. We want to bring you back, but go out, see what the market calls for. And then you also keep your option open. They could do something like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be the franchise tag. The other thing that's important to know with Saquon, and hey, we could sit here and debate the merit of taking a player like him with the number two overall pick mm -hmm. that were blue in the face. I see both sides of it. The only thing I would specify with Saquon is I don't look at Saquon as a running back. Saquon's a weapon, meaning he can be a receiver out of the backfield as much as he can run. So you're getting more value out of him than just being a conventional runner like a Christian McCaffrey, like some of these other pseudo running back slash wide receivers. So when you take a player like that who can impact the offense in a variety of ways, I wouldn't label them just an, a running back. For example, if you took a big beast of a guy like a Derrick Henry, mm -hmm. Derrick Henry's a running back, yes. okay? You're not going to get much out of him in the elusiveness department as a wide receiver. Saquon, a little bit different. 
in terms of the cloth he's cut from. So I can understand you wanting maybe to think about taking him a little bit earlier in the draft because he gives you more options on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, I mean, they went with best player available, and he's been the best exactly. player on the team, yeah. I mean, for how many years? It's just way I look at it is I can name you 10, 15 Super Bowl champions that didn't have a marquee running back. Sure. And, you know, you can't name you. I can't you can't name me 10 or 15 Super Bowl champions that didn't have a marquee quarterback. So, you know, it just kind of I just felt like maybe they they, they kind of went too soon with that. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. He's been a listen. He's fun to watch. He's a great. He's a, he's a good player. Is he a gold jacket player? No, I don't think he's a gold jacket player, like he said, but he's fun to watch. And he, he makes people miss. Like you said, he's as close to Barry well, Sanders. Been- as you can yeah, be. I mean, he has to stay healthy. I mean, that's the big thing that's been holding him back. And clearly, the issues with the offensive line and that impacting his mindset as a runner. He's been far more decisive this year as opposed to in previous years. I think he was second-guessing more because he was worried about, A, he's going to get hit as soon as he gets a carry, or B, the line's going to break down and the hole is going to gobble him up. So I think he's a little bit more confident, and that, once again, is reflecting his play. The other thing, real quickly, just as a side note, to go back to that 2018 draft, and I know people may be annoyed that they didn't go after a quarterback, there's no guarantee that even if they took Josh Allen or they took Sam Darnold, that any of those guys would have thrived under what the Giants had from a personnel standpoint. Remember, the quarterback's impacted by the environment as much as he's impacted by his individual skill set. And the Giants didn't have, if you go back to 18, I mean, even look at what Eli had to deal with. It's not like they had an ideal circumstance for any of those young quarterbacks, you whether th- it be Baker, whether it be you know anybody else you want to throw out in that class. You don't think the Giants would be better off today if they had Josh Allen? I think it would no, have pissed off Eli is what they were trying not to do. Well, I mean, listen, we could certainly get into that, but to me it's more important to focus on no, I don't think you can guarantee to me that if Josh Allen was in a Giants uniform, that he'd be the Josh Allen of what's become of him in Buffalo. No, okay. you, no one can make that argument with any substance behind it other than, oh, well, Josh Allen's putting up fantasy yeah, numbers, yeah, so I know yeah. that's going to translate. <laughs> you can't. You're right. You're right. You can't you're right, do that. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Now, um, Brian Dable, he, he listen, he he clinched everybody's fan favorite as soon as he went for two and got it there on the, in the opening week. Now, do you think the Giants, now they, they've kind of gone through a couple coaches here. you think they dodged a bullet by losing the Matt Rule sweepstakes? <laughs> well, it didn't work out for him in Carolina. He lasted just a little bit over Joe Judge. Clearly, there was personnel issues. They didn't have any stability at quarterback. I'm not trying to build excuses for Matt Rule, but it sort of goes back to, Bob, the conversation we're having. And the talent in the environment is going to impact the level of success for the coach and the quarterback. Yes, play calling is important, creativity, don't get me wrong. Whether or not they dodge the bullet, I mean, you could argue if you had Matt Rule here in New York and he had a similar resume result-wise to what he had in Carolina or what Joe Judge did, they probably would have been prepared to move on from him. Maybe he lasts another season and maybe he stays through this year, but then by the end of this season, if his resume was similar to the trajectory in Carolina, the Giants would have probably been back to square one by the end of this season. So when people say, well, they dodged the bullet, it's not as if Joe Judge worked out. I mean, Joe Judge was here for two seasons. Somehow somehow they found the coach worse than Ray Hanley. Somehow. I didn't think that was possible. The bottom line is it didn't work out in Carolina. It didn't work out with the Giants. So we're basically, for people that want to have the debate about dodging a bullet, you're comparing two similar circumstances. <laughs> so, fair point. I mean, That's a fair point. That's a good point, actually. Because I, I mean, mean well, who, 
Yeah, I, I mean, who who gets the edge? You're basically, it's like you comparing, and not you specifically, the people that want to have that debate, you're comparing the 29th ranked team to the 30th ranked team. What do you want, brownie <laughs> points because you finished 29th instead of 30th? Who cares at the end of the day? Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. And it's funny because it's, now... Now every I hear everybody talking because it's you know it's a copycat league it is the it is what it is now everybody's saying oh maybe the GMs will, will steer away from these young the, the young flavor of the week type of coach and they'll go with somebody all because of Brian Dable and like let's slow down we're five games into the season the Giants could very well lose four in a row here they could win three out of the next four but they could very well lose them too people talking well, coach won, of the year they've won every game by one possession. So, I mean, that goes to show you the fine line that they're walking. They're winning the close games, which is important in the NFL. But, yeah, all of a sudden in a season, you could be hot after the first five, and then the next five, it's a completely different story. It's more of a reason why when I look at teams, it's a marathon. And I know it's the old cliche. You don't get too high. You don't get too low after the first quarter of the season. You can feel encouraged. You can feel good. You look for signs. You look for an identity of a team, but you don't crown a team. I will never crown a team, whether they're at the top or at the bottom. You wait and see if they can ride the wave out because Carolina, it's funny, you brought up the Panthers. Carolina last season started off very good, and then what happened? Sam Darnold got hurt. Mm -hmm. They lost a few guys on defense. Christian McCaffrey got hurt, and then they went in a completely different direction. That's more of a reason why... You can't get overly emotional over whether the first five games is great, middle of the pack, or the bottom. And I think, you know, right now, once again, the Giants are winning the close games. If they can continue to do that, yeah, they should be able to stay on this trajectory. But there could also be games that we talked about where maybe the ball doesn't bounce your way. Maybe you don't benefit from field position. Maybe you don't get the pass defense, and then you need to. You know, put yourself with the back against the wall. How can this team handle that? I think the jury is still out. I don't think we've necessarily had the answers to those questions. Well, I mean, I agree. And I think, I mean, as much as it's a copycat league inside the league, the fans, it's an overreaction league. I mean, after week one, this, 100%. half the fans yeah. don't think they'll ever win a game. The other half think they're going undefeated. And I, I think, you know, like, it's just that everybody overreacts in the NFL. It's a, you know, and a lot of the Giants fans, they're so hungry just to have some wins because, you know what, a lot of them are Yankee fans, too. So they're used to, you know, the, the God-given yep. right to win. I happen to be a Mets fan. So, you know, I'm used to I'm like, oh, would we lose 10 years in a row? This is nothing. You know, we can sure. do this. No problem. But um, now give me, give, me, uh, give me some key points. What do the Giants got to do this week to beat uh, their five-point dog at home to the Ravens? What do they got to do to win? I think the first thing and the biggest priority is if you let Lamar Jackson run wild, it's going to be a very long afternoon. And Justin Fields actually had a good running day. If you go back and you look at that Bears game, he ran, I think, seven times for just over 50 yards. But once again, it wasn't like a game-wrecking run. Lamar, it'll add up in the end. And they design runs for Lamar. So this, to me, is a game. We were talking about the dynamics of the Giants' defense. This is a linebacker game to me. Can those guys... Make sure they clog the holes. The Jalen Smiths. I don't know if they're going to call Landon Collins up for the practice squad. He's still learning the scheme. But any of the guys in the middle of the defense, specifically Jalen Smith, can they do some damage control against Lamar? That's going to be a huge tell and a huge storyline. And then also, in extension of that, J.K. Dobbins is getting stronger. Their main running back who's working his way back from a torn ACL. And they'll use Devin Duvernay who's their big return guy as a runner, too. He's not just a wide receiver. So 
that to me is priority number one. And then the other thing is you don't want Mark Andrews to go wild. He's their number one target. They don't have a wide receiver leading the way. It's all about the tight end. And that goes back to the middle of the field. That's why, to me, this is a linebacker game more so than any other position. Because if you overcommit on Lamar, he'll run by you. And I don't think that they have a fully healthy receiving core that they're going to be throwing 50-yard bombs down the field. So it's going to be middle of the field, ground attack. That's going to be a big part of Baltimore's game plan. So that's the key on the defensive side of the ball. As far as the offense goes, can you run the ball like you've been doing? Remember, if the Giants trail late in a game, that was proven to be their Achilles heel as Dallas took advantage. So they need to stay within striking distance so that they don't have to abandon the run and they don't have Daniel airing it out 30-some-odd times. He threw the ball 37 times against Dallas. Mm -hmm. He didn't come close to doing that against Green Bay. He threw 27 times. With Daniel, you want him to stay within that 25 to 30 territory. It starts going over that. That, to me, plays, plays right into the hands of the defense. So those are the two keys. It comes back to the trenches. Trenches, essentially, is what I'm saying. But it's really about game flow. Do you let the Ravens run wild and stay in manageable third downs? And can you yourself run the ball? to stay in manageable third downs. That's going to dictate the game. Well, I mean, that, that that Green Bay game, you could have plugged that game into any one of the great giant errors, and it would have fit right in. They had a long drive, controlled the clock, yep. uh, eight, nine-minute drive down the field, scored a touchdown, and then the defense got to the quarterback, pressured the quarterback, and, you know, that's Giants football. Does this Well, the other thing, yeah, I didn't mean okay, to go okay. drunk, Bob. The other key, though, with respect to the lengthy drives in that game was they actually finished those drives with touchdowns. That was the difference. You could hold on to the ball for 32 minutes and then settle for field goals in the red zone, and that doesn't mean anything. Aaron will then throw a 40-yard touchdown pass, and you're now down 7-3. to three. The fact that those long drives led to touchdowns means they got bang for the buck. There was substance behind time of possession. So that, to me, is far more important than simply just holding on to the ball. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the Jets are going to pay for you know him being angry this week. But um, now the the I think there's some holes with the Ravens. I think the Ravens are beatable. I think I think five points is probably a good sure. spread. Now, if you if you're underdog like that, you're going to need you know, what do you need? You need a turnover. You need a special teams play something like that. I think they have a chance. And if they could do this, I mean, they got Seattle, which is very winnable. They got Jacksonville, and then they got the bye. They could very well. Be seven. I mean, dare I say six and one, seven and one? I mean, my God, will we ever think of that before the season? No, it's not crazy at all. One hundred percent. I mean, it's not like he got a bunch of juggernauts on the schedule, but you know, it still goes back to doing the fundamental things to win those close games. Especially since notice the Giants—they're not blowing anyone out. They're not winning by twenty. No. So even if you're going up against the Jacksonville's, the Seattle's, these teams that have shown some flashes and could very well be dangerous, but not like you're not going up against Goliath here. You still need to do those things to make sure you win those close games. But no, winning the next three is not a stretch, not crazy at all. I think as far as do you need a turnover to beat Baltimore? It would be nice. The Ravens are an extremely opportunistic team. They lead the NFL with 11 takeaways. They have eight interceptions. So I would argue maybe it's more important for the Giants to protect the ball than maybe get their own turnover. Because I think if they run the ball, field position should be decent. And then, you know, same thing with the special teams. The Giants special teams hasn't necessarily been a star unit out of the group other than Graham Gano, who clearly has had a great leg from an efficiency standpoint. I think if you're the Giants special teams, the bigger question is coverage. Mm -hmm. Devin Duvernay, he's already returned one for a score for 103 yards against Miami. 
You do not want him – forget a touchdown. You just don't want him to get a big return to shorten the field for Lamar. So to answer your question, it's more of special teams coverage being solid and I would think protecting the football. They could win this game even if they don't get a turnover, but how many takeaways does Baltimore have? If it's plus two for Baltimore, then I don't like the chances for the Giants. Well, it should be a wild scene out there. I mean, it was a good crowd for the Dallas game, but there was a lot of Dallas fans in there. Like there always is, they travel well. But uh, it yep. should be a good one. And I think, uh, did, one last question, did, did, does this team make the playoffs? Oh, boy. I mean, <laughs> we're going back to the questions about how much do you read into five games. I don't think three teams are making it from the NFC East. No, Let I me put it that way. Okay? And I came into the season thinking Dallas and Philadelphia were the two teams that are going to make the playoffs. And I still stand by that because I haven't seen anything to make me feel worried about those two teams, especially based on their personnel and how well they played. So I still think, you know, the Giants, I think they're a borderline playoff team. I think that, you know, they should be in the wild card hunt. I don't think they're going to completely disappear because of what we said with respect to the schedule. But, you know, there's also competition outside of the NFC East, and I think they should be in the hunt. But right now, to me, it's very too early to tell because I still need to be sold. This is what would allow me to say I think this team can get into the playoffs, where they've got to air the ball out and they have to win games where it may be a little bit more of a shootout with the quarterback as opposed to the running back. When that question is answered, then my answer would tilt towards Yes, this team could absolutely make the playoffs. I think they're in the conversation right now. I wouldn't go so far to say that they're punching their ticket. I agree. I agree. Listen, they, the step one, make it to Halloween. Okay, we're going to make it to Halloween. We've already clinched that. All right. Step two is then. Now, I think they'll kind of be on Thanksgiving. They'll be one of those teams, you know, when, the, when they show the playoff picture and they show the bottom of the screen, it says in the hunt. Well, they're really, they're not mathematically eliminated, but, you know, they're about 500. I think I could see them ending up like that. But, hey, listen, it's, whatever it is, it's an improvement. We got a football season, and it's October. It's mid-October, and we got a football season. That, that's all we could ask for at this point, as sad as that is, for both the Jets and the Giants. But tell everybody where they can find you. Well, as you mentioned on the top, they can find me on SiriusXM. I'm on Mad Dog Sports Radio Saturday, Sundays, Saturday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., Sunday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., and I'm also on NFL radio hosting a bunch of shows, including the Monday night post game show after every Monday night game. And then we have plenty of programming on Giants.com. So involved in a variety of different shows, including Big Blue Kickoff Live, our podcast. You mentioned the free half and post game on WFN. And I also, you know, do work for Westwood One, play by play studio stuff, as well as uh, Columbia basketball, football. And a little baseball, too. So I'm really uh, all over the place, as they say. Yeah, so the answer to where you can find them? Everywhere. Everywhere. Exactly. (laughs) So, um... (laughs) (laughs) All right, his name is Lance Meadow. Lance, thanks for coming on, giving us a couple minutes. Yeah, no no problem at all. All right, how about that? What a uh, thank you to Lance. We're good at a good interview. Thank you for coming on. A lot of stuff going on there. And, um, you know, the Giants have a chance. You think the Giants can win? You would, yeah, I pick them to cover. They're five point underdogs at home. Uh, do I think they can win? Yeah, I think they can win. I mean, their defense has been not shutting teams down, but holding them back to so they could, you know, holding them down enough that the Giants have had a chance each week. It's you know, I mean, it's that's all you can really ask for from this team. This team is. They're not like they're a product. I see. I they're think not trapped with superstars. You know what I'm saying? But as long as you give yourself a chance to win each week. 
That's all you can ask for. Daniel Jones, are you on board? Daniel Jones? I'm not. I'm you still know, not. Yeah, you know how I feel about Daniel Jones. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, he, he's been great. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if it was uh, last week. I will say he laid a great block on the guy. And at, I was like, at, right there when I saw that, I was like, you know what? That's the, uh, that's the kind of fight that I like to yeah, see. Yeah, but, but you know. Like, but you, yes, I mean, look at the quarterback. Listen, you know when you know your guy is not the franchise quarterback? When you say, last week, you know what he did? Laid a great block on a guy. <laughs> that's when you know he's not the franchise quarterback. Yeah, you're probably right. So, you're I mean, listen. Right. This is the worst possible situation for the Giants because now they're going to finish. They're not. They're, I mean, they could. They might even be 6-1 and one or 7-2 and two going into the bye or whatever. They're going to finish up in the middle of the season. They're going to be, you know what they're going to be? They're going to be the team on Thanksgiving when they show the 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 playoff picture on the bottom in the hunt. The Giants will be in the hunt. Maybe. They're mathematically alive, but, well, you know. Well, let me tell you, their schedule is not that difficult. No, yeah, I can't believe no. they got They got Jacksonville, they got Seattle, and they got they got this week, they got... They get the Guardians. To, I mean, the Guardians. The Guardians. They, they get Washington. The they get the Commanders. It's so bad. I can't even remember the names anymore. I like the Washington football team. And, and not, they, do, they don't even have an owner. It's so ridiculous. I was looking at the schedule the other day, and then somebody was like, oh, they're playing the Commanders. I'm like, well, I couldn't remember who the Commanders were. I was like, you can, I liked it better when it was the Washington football club. To make you feel better, and I don't know if it makes you feel better because he's not really you know, a very accurate person, but on my way here, I was listening to the Yankee game, and at least once in an inning, John Sterling called them the Yankees. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. He's like, Darling, well, excuse me. Darling called them the Indians one time. Yeah, and Darling's yeah, a Yale so. graduate. So if yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not Darling, we're not Yale graduates. We're certainly, we're SUNY graduates, okay? We're, 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 we're not bringing up Darling calling them the Indians just because Costas called them Justin Bieber instead of Shane Bieber. Yeah, but was it an accident? <laughs> oh, it was, was an accident. A straight accident. He's like, Justin Bieber has had seven strikes. I don't remember what the quote. It was a stat he was putting out there earlier. He was like, Justin Bieber's gone five and thrown seven strikeouts. And, and, then and has ten number one hit records. And then third. 30 seconds later, he actually said on the broadcast, he was like, I did not just call him Justin Bieber, did I? And they're like, yeah, he's Bob Costas. Bob Costas can get, get away with that. Oh, yeah. And like Al Michaels. Al Michaels is a degenerate gambler. Bob Costas is obviously a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He's a, did the Olympics for. Uh, yeah, the NBA, NBA on NBC. NBA. Him and Ahmad Rashad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, Bob Costas was like big. If it was a big thing, Bob Costas. Was there he and Al Michaels was there and Dan Madden and Summerall were there and now that this generation it's Buck it's Buck and it's weird because Buck's not going to do the World Series this year because he's not with Fox anymore. Oh yeah, that's right. You know who's going to do it? You know who's going to be the big the, the main guy at Fox is Burkhart. Oh, I didn't. Which even is think our guy that. from the Mets? I didn't even think about that. I mean, I know that he you know his contract for football is up. I guess he's, yeah, uh, he's he, not doing he, baseball. No, he'd be doing it now because that's the problem. He would he would leave football. Remember, he wouldn't do football during those during these weeks. Right. He would he would he would leave the football and he would do the baseball games on Sunday night or whatever. Now he works for he ESPN. ESPN, yeah, yeah. He does the uh, he does the he Monday does the Monday, night he does Monday night. Yeah. Him right. and Aikman. Yeah, which is weird. It was weird the first time I tuned in and I heard Buck and Aikman. I, mean, I have to feel yeah. I have to feel like that Monday night gig is a little bit easier for him. He probably gets paid this. I, no, he gets I, paid more. He gets get way more. He, more. Got way he doesn't even have to do baseball. He gets paid more, and he does just. Uh, yeah, but the, oh, yeah. is he going to call baseball? ESPN does baseball, so he's yeah, gonna no, he doesn't up, do baseball. He yeah. hasn't heard. Well, doing this baseball. season he doesn't. We'll see what happens. We'll see if he starts. I bet you he might start doing the Sunday night games next season. When, you know. Yeah, yeah, because he's better. Than, he left Fox in the middle of the year this this time around. So yeah, he's he, also the Cardinals announcer. I think is he the yeah. Cardinals announcer as well? Like yeah. they're every day. I think day he's announcer? like the everyday announcer. Is that true? That's yeah. Weird. I mean, his that's father his was the Cardinals announcer, and he was it was his dad's job. Yeah, right, but. 
That's surprising. I thought he would just do national. I, I don't know. If, I think you might be pulling that out of somewhere. Is he really the Cardinals? The yeah, Cardinals we'll look well? it up. We'll look, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, as, of, as, of, as of like a couple of years ago, he was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, he was the Cardinals. That's, why, that's wild if he's doing that. He grew well. up as the, in the around the Cardinals with his like, father. I know he's got a family, too. Like, geez, Joe. Like, settle down a little bit. Go see your kids. Well, you think, yeah, I mean, what about Kenny Albert? What about Kenny Albert's family? He's doing the Rangers one night, and then he's off to, to like the fourth. He's off to like the Seattle. Seattle, Chicago, Sunday, 4 yeah. o'clock but game. You know how I feel about Joe Buck, too. I like Joe. I think anybody that doesn't like Joe Buck is just... Go see your kids, Joe. They the cats like in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> My God. Stop working. I mean, some of these announcers are like, Sam's Sam's doing Golden Gloves at the Garden, then he's doing a Ranger game in Colorado, and then he's off to do the number five, the five, the fifth-ranked fo- uh, base uh, football game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Sam's a workaholic. Well. Sam's 75 years old as of last week. Yeah, yeah. How are the Rangers? Did you watch the Rangers? Rangers 3-0. The Rangers are 2-0. Did you watch them this I watched week? them. Yeah, well, what, what was I going to watch? A football game? And it, was, and it was terrible, too, because you had to flip. You couldn't just flip oh. channels. You had to, like, the source. Oh, it's the worst part about streaming is you can't just flip the channel. Oh, no, it was, uh, you know what we are right now? We're a bunch of old men. I mean, yeah. 100% argue. I mean, complaining about this is, a, is an old man move, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I hate when they stream it. I was upset. I got two different reason. remotes going. I got the Roku remote. and I got the. Oh. I just want to hit the back button, okay? Give yeah. me the back button. You can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, forget it. You. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. I'm and, with you. and then... And I'm watching the game. I'm gonna add money on the football game, and I'm watching. And I'm like watching this football game, and and my wife came out. Would you have the over? No, I had the Redskins. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I had the Bears. I needed them to score a touchdown on the last oh, play, bro. Oh, the drop and by Mooney. I have him on my fantasy He didn't team. drop it. He caught it. That's a goal. He dropped it in the end zone. Bobbled it. Caught it even six worse. Outside. Out. I would have rather you just drop you, it. You're right. I would have rather Catches dropped it Catches it six too. inches out and falls in. He's like, on my on. fantasy team. I needed to put him in. I had some guys on a bye. Oh, I know. So close. It was brutal. So, anyway, <laughs> that uh, pretty much does it for us tonight. Uh, we got things to do. We got families. Jo- Joe Buck, we take we we go visit our families. That's right, Joe Buck. Go see your um, kids, buddy. Brett, Brett. Hey, if you're fishing with Brett, just just shake the fish a little bit, all right? He, yeah, there might be weights in there. It might be weights. It might be weights. I mean, he's gone fishing. He'd rather be fishing. You know, whatever it is. Let's see if uh, Boone can stay out of his way tomorrow. Not bring in. Uh, do the Yankees Kyle win at the end of the game? Please. Well, well who would you like? Where were they? Where were they were down. Who were they down? Well, they let couldn't... me tell you this, just real quick before we go away. It drives me nuts that this guy leaves does, uh, pulls Wandy Peralta every game after three batters. Like in today's game, and I know we're going we're going a little over here, but in in today's game, he takes Peralta, Peralta comes in and he is get, pitching beautifully. Three outs, takes him out in the uh, ninth inning. He pitches the last two outs in the eighth, takes him out in the ninth. Okay. Then he brings Holmes in to get the last two outs in the ninth. And instead of he should have left Wandy Peralta in for the ninth, and then you got Holmes for the tenth. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Boone just thinks they're gonna win it in the ninth with with who? I don't know. With Aaron Judge, I'm second in the ninth. Yeah, the, the guy with 62 home runs. Uh, listen, I understand. He's also the guy that struck out seven times. You can't assume that they're gonna no, score no, a run yeah, in the ninth. Right, right, it's right. not. There's not a ghost runner. You know what I'm saying? You gotta. You, Go with your relievers. What are you doing? Leave Wandy in, Wandy in to get t- five outs. Then you could have had Holmes for the tenth inning, and then you can move on. Then you need to bring in Tyone. I get it. You got to extend the game. You know you might have to pitch four extra innings, but the way that he did it, it, it just drives me nuts. 
Leave Peralta in there for more than three outs. The guy is dealing. And you pull him out in the middle of the inning, and you bring in Holmes in the middle of the inning. Now, don't get me wrong. Holmes got the outs that he needed to get. You could have let Wandy stay in, finish the inning. You bring Holmes in in the next inning, and then and then you bring in Herman or Tyone. And that would have been fine. But no, of course... And I'm sorry, I'm getting back on the Yankees, but we're talking. This is right it's after playoffs, the game. Playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Did, did the, uh, Monday, Monday morning. Do the Yankees, are the Yankees getting ready for for Houston or are the Yankees? I don't know. The Yankees are going to win the series. Okay. You got to give. The, here's the thing with the Yankees. You always are going to have one game where they go off. They're going to score five or six runs one of their games. That'll be a win. You still got Cole out there that, that he's ready to go either game four or if they hold him for game five. You know, you got uh, you got Savvy going tomorrow who looked. Ridiculously good in his last two starts. These kids, these kids in the the Guardians of the Galaxy, the kids for Cleveland are they? You know what? They, they're young and dumb, and they don't know what they do. They're just playing. They're all like nineteen years old. I agree, but I you know I have faith in my ball club. Could they, do you uh, fire Boone or Cashman if they lose this series? They're not going to get rid of Cashman. I, know. I mean, uh, Steinbrenner loves him. Steinbrenner loves him. Steinbrenner's not his dad either. He's not his dad, which is fine. You know what? He's running a business. I get it, but. They're never going to get rid of Cashman. Do they get rid of Boone? I can see them getting rid of Boone at some point. Not at the end of this year, though. They won't be at the end of this year. I mean, they were they were on pace to, to win 114 games. I know. They, and then they then they just yeah, barely. They were, yeah, but they you know what they played. Right. They straightened it out with enough time. They straightened it out with enough time. So game game three tomorrow for the Yankees. Game four on Sunday. Giants Ravens one o'clock on Sunday from MetLife Stadium should be a wild scene there. Jets in. Green Bay, Green Monday, Bay. is it Monday night? Yeah, and the Jet fans are all... Monday night. The Jet fans think they're going to win that game. Yeah, yeah no, no, Green no. no. You guys, yeah, we pissed Ooh. off. We pissed off one of the greatest quarterbacks yeah, of our generation. I want to be there. I'll tell you Good that. luck, Jets. So, a special thank you to Lance Meadow for coming on the show. A special thank you to Ryan McGordy, my best man, for coming on the show. Brett, I hope you catch nothing. And we will see you next week, next Friday. We will also do shows... Um, I will do shows after the Yankee games on Saturday, Sunday, but hopefully tomorrow I'll do something. And then, as always, if you're going to head to the Yankee games if they advance, go to SeatGeek. This episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets, SeatGeek, and enter the promo code LOCKEDUPSPORTS. We'll talk to you for next Friday. For Ryan McGordy, I'm Bob Walters. See ya! Let's go Yankees.